Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us and happy to have a full house here today. Morning, Bob. Good morning. Brian. Morning, Brad. Dustin. Morning, Brad. Philip. Hey, Brad. And we've got Dr. AJ Tarpoff with us as well. Hey, AJ. How are you today, Brad? Good. We're happy to have these guys here because we're going to talk about several topics, including reviving newborn calves. So some of those newborn calves that come out, how do we get them going? What do we know? What's the science behind it? Brian and AJ both have some good input for that. Dustin's got some economic questions on us. I know we've talked about exporting a little bit before, and Dustin's going to see where our knowledge of the export market is, as well as... What do we do in the severe cold? And we know that a lot of times this will come up different points in the winter. Want to make sure we have some ideas of what to do. Before we get into those topics, I actually have a question for you guys to test your knowledge. So people have talked about watching Westerns on TV, but what do you think if you had to go, and I've got a list of the top 10, what are the top Westerns of the 20th century? So made before 2000. You get to pick one Western and we'll see how high who can rank highest on my list? Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke, all right. I was in Bonanza. Bonanza. Did you say TV or movie? TV. Well, it could be a TV or miniseries. No movies. Oh, no movies. Best Western TV series of the 20th century. I don't know. I don't. The Rifleman? Hee Haw. The Rifleman <laughs> and Hee Haw. Nah, I got Gunsmoke or Bonanza would have been there for me. Gunsmoke or Bonanza. Gunsmoke. Maverick. Gunsmoke is number four, Bonanza number 11, The Rifleman number 12. The number one on this list was How the West Was Won, which was actually a miniseries, so I'm not sure that that counts. Number two, Centennial, and number three, Kung Fu. But you didn't mention Kung Fu. Seriously, wow. That's well, a, a couple of those were miniseries, and that's not what I was thinking about. Okay, so. okay, but but even so, everybody so, was kung fu fighting. Everyone, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and that's what you think of when you think western. No, it isn't. <laughs> so, but it still, it still counts. So that was our that was our list for for today. And I know Dustin, you'll have a chance to redeem yourself when yeah, Dustin asks good. his questions later. <laughs> So I wanted to jump in, and AJ, you've got, and, and we mentioned before, you can get online, check out the when the calving schools occur. AJ does a fantastic job of teaching some of those calving schools. We talked a couple weeks ago as it comes up on calving season. Even if you've been through it multiple times, having some practice, having a little refresher is always a good thing. Uh, do you want to mention anything about those calving schools? Yeah, the calving schools, I, I, I love putting on this program year in and year out. It's, it's super practical. It's very applied. I have producers that call me the next day and said, I went to your calving school and implemented some of those strategies that you talked about that night. Yeah. <laughs> so, so whether you've been doing it for 50 years, you're a brand new to the industry, first time calving cows, there is information for you. We talk about time frames. We talk about what's happening on the inside of the cow but then we talk about the tools how to properly use the calving equipment i've got a life-size cow and a and a very realistic calf dummy so we pull calves we look at it i actually have a video camera set up on the inside of the cow so i can kind of walk producers through how to figure out the anatomy how to be able to uh, if you have to move a calf on the inside how to properly do that, how to protect the cow, how to protect the calf, how to get a live calf on the ground. That's excellent. And not a view you normally get. No, that's it. <laughs> so. it's how many times have you been shoot side with somebody and they go, oh, yeah, it's uh, a leg back and I'm just doing this. 
and yeah. you just can't visualize it. Yeah. But when it's up there on the big screen, uh, finally producers get that inside, you know, you know, point point of view that nobody gets to see. So I would encourage you to encourage you to make one of those if you can. As I mentioned, on the website, you can go to the K State Animal Science website or KSU Beef and find the dates for the calving schools if you want to go attend one of those. We always enjoy having AJ on. And we've I also wanted to mention before we get into the first topic, we've had our new podcast, Bovine Science with BCI, which is uh, geared toward those that want to know a little bit more about different topics. And our latest one has come out again. They come out on Mondays covering a variety of topics. So you may want to listen to those. They're relatively short, about 15 minutes, but give you a deep dive into a topic if you're interested. Now, back to the calving topic, and and one of the things, we talked about calving a little bit before, but when those new calves come out, they can be sometimes a little bit sluggish, especially on dystocia. What are some of the things you think about when we want to revive those calves? And I, I you know, personally, I, I'm, I, I like to mimic Mother Nature. You know, if you sit back and just observe the herd, what does a uh, what does a mama cow do when that newborn hits the ground, right? If born unassisted, well, she's. Are you been... saying I'm going to have to lick the cows? <laughs> well, <laughs> is this uh, where you're going with this? I, I'm not that quite literal. Okay. I, you know, personally, I carry a big beach towel in my calving kit, and when that calf hits the ground, I mean, I I roll it up. I try to get it vertical, you know, up sitting on its chest, and I vigorously rub that calf. It's all about neural stimulation at that point to try to get the calf to start breathing. And that first breath is what really has to happen. And Mother Nature says neural stimulation is the best thing to get that calf to start breathing. Because she, she's licking him, yes, to clean him, but also there's a physiologic process that's occurring when he's getting rubbed on his skin that tells him, hey, you're in the world now, right? You got to wake up and you got to start going to town. Never right? had to breathe before. It's that first It's that first kind of stimulating the brain to say, hey, let's start breathing. Yeah, and it seems to me that the, the two things that will really – be the biggest problem is is if they had a difficult birth and so i don't know if that is just how long they were kind of in the birth process how long they were in the birth canal or whether that is you know that the calf himself is kind of just worn out but for for some reason those calves that are born after a difficult birth seem to be the ones that really kind of struggle to get going and again you start saying some of the things you said well you want them up on their chest well if they had a difficult birth they're less likely to do that you want the mom to lick them off well if she just went through a difficult birth she's going to lay there and and not want to just jump up and give the calf attention and so if the calf if the calf was born without much assistance usually i don't need to do much is that is that right aj Uh, possibly but now there are some key indicators that calf may need some extra help you know one of them is if you've ever seen a calf born with this yellowish fluid covering it so say you got a Charlay or a red angus calf and it's covered in this yellow goo that's not normal that's a stressed calf and it was stressed prior to the birthing process it coming through the birth canal. So we call that meconium. So if we see meconium covering, covering that cow, that means that calf was stressed prior to birth. You know, that's the waste material that usually gets absorbed back to mom. So if that sac breaks prior to that calf, you know, during the birthing process, there was stress occurring. So when I see things like that, I right away, regardless if I intervened or not, if I see a meconium covered calf, I'm going to try to intervene to make sure that calf it may need some extra help. Yeah, I wrote a recent paper. I think it was Elizabeth Homerowski that wrote a paper that said that the two factors to think about for a calf that needs some help is either he had a difficult birth or he won't suckle. And so you could even just put two fingers in his mouth. And if he won't suckle, whether he had a difficult birth or not, that those are the two two categories of calves that had a difficult birth 
and that kind of are slow to suckle. What do you think of those two signs? And I like your meconium mm-hmm. sign as well. Yeah, no. So the uh, the suckle reflex, it is a neural reflex. So it's it should happen. Uh, sometimes it's delayed, but that I think that's an excellent, excellent indicator is how do we know that, you know, after they start breathing, are they going to suckle on mom? Are they going to stand up? Do they have the vigor? And that study you were talking about is all about scoring calf vigor. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a technique to actually get the, you know, the suckle reflex, you know, one or two fingers, you actually scrape a little bit on the inside of the, the hard palate on the top of the mouth. You kind of pull it back. You put the fingers in and you actually pull that back a little bit and it, we should have rhythmic jaw tone of a suckle. Okay. It's not going to be like a bottle calf that comes up and tries to, you know, take your finger off whenever you walk into the pen. It's not that vigorous, but there should be a rhythmic suckle with good jaw tone. That is a good suckle response. If it's delayed or there's lax or you don't have jaw tone, that's where we have a problem. They're less likely to be able to consume colostrum on their own. Their their vigor is usually hindered. Yeah, because that's kind of where I was going, and both in this article and my experience was, you know, with beef, you know, with dairy calves, those calves are always born, you know, with human assistance, and the humans make sure they get colostrum. Well, with beef calves, usually I want the calf to get the colostrum directly from the cow. I don't want a human to intervene. But we know that sometimes they should, that humans should intervene. And the things that we've been talking about, one of the the action steps would be then maybe to tube feed or bottle feed colostrum because we don't think those calves are likely to get up and suckle on their own in a timely manner. Is that, is that a fair, I mean, why do all this thing that you and I were just talking about? That's it. It, it is colostrum. We get them up, we get them breathing, right? Uh, next most important step is getting colostrum. Can they suckle on their own? And I agree with you in a cow-calf scenario, especially calving out in a pasture, we want mom to take over, right? We There's there's a time that we don't need to intervene, but if that calf's not going to be able to thrive on its own, we absolutely intervene to be able to step up, get that calf off to the best start that it can. Now, now there are some things that have been out there, and, and Brian, I want to get your opinion, is there are articles out there on, on giving some of those calves stimulants. So stimulants like caffeine or, or other things, what are your thoughts in that area? Yeah, and, and I'd even I'd even brought it out a little bit. Just say, you know, the pharmacological inv- interventions that we do. So caffeine has been toted as useful for newborn calves. They're kind of slow to respond. Um, again, in the thread that, you know, we're trying, it's a stimulant, right? So we're trying to stimulate them. So as far as I know, that came from some old human data where they looked at giving caffeine to newborn infants that weren't breathing. And it does seem to have a benefit. But as far as I know, no one's actually ever tested that in calves. And so there there are a few people out there that are proponents of it. And it's probably a, you're probably not going to hurt them um, by doing it, but you may not be getting a huge benefit. Uh, the other one is is called Dopram. So it's a, it's a respite. It, it's a drug that specifically stimulates the respiratory center. So if they're not breathing, it may be helpful, but it's not it, it's not going to stimulate anything else. So slotus not going to do anything for the suckle response. It's not not going to do anything. So it might be something that you would and, and again, I don't know of any studies that actually show how well it works. And then the other one that <clears throat> that I've seen used before for premature calves would be uh, steroids like dexamethasone. Um, and the, the thought with that is, and, and this one actually probably does have some benefit in very select cases, is de, uh, dexamethasone can help uh, stimulate surfactant production in the lungs. So, so for, surfactant is compound that breaks up that, that mucus in the lungs. And so that actually may have some benefit, but all of these are going to only be used in very select specific cases. And they're not 
going to be kind of an overall, you'll probably have to combine them with something else. But I would say for general use, probably not a lot of data out there to support any of those. So, so we're back to what AJ said earlier yep. is try to mimic mother nature. Use what use what has been around for a long time, what has been proven. And I think those are some great tips, guys, as far as managing those calves, giving them some assessment, potentially giving them some colostrum. And we'll get back with AJ because I know he's got another couple topics on that. But before we get into those, I, Dustin, I, I want to, I know you had done some research thinking about the export markets and you had some questions you wanted to ask the group. So exports were in the news recently. Uh, I think Japan signed an agreement with the U.S., kind of a, a bilateral trade agreement that basically just stated we can continue exporting beef. We can actually export more beef without uh, having higher tariffs. So again, I think it's good for the producers, ranchers. Uh, in that process of looking at that, I went out to U.S. Uh, United States Meat Export Federation and pulled some statistics. I thought I would just uh, quiz you guys on our your export beef knowledge. So lots of lots of good data out there. If you're interested in that kind of stuff, I would suggest definitely going out to their website and take a look. And it's more than just beef, but we're going to talk about beef today. So we've had a good 2022. So all the data that I've pulled is just uh, through the October. So you think the first three quarters, we're still here in the fourth quarter. So comparing it to the previous 2021 first uh, three quarters. So We've had a good year in 2022, export volumes up 4% over the previous year. In terms of value, that's up 18%. Uh, so we're sitting in value at about a uh, little over $10 billion, with the B dollars for 2022. So, so my first question for you is when we export beef, right, we, we export products that either are high value or products maybe we won't consume here in the U.S. Liver, off all, right? So livers, tongues, et cetera. Well, if we think about we convert that value back to kind of a dollar per head basis. So question is, in the first three months in January 2022, what is the export value per fed head slaughtered? So dollars per head basis, what's that export value translate back to? Oh, you're, you're just going to make us guess because I, I honestly don't know. I'm going to say about 400. I'm going to say 375. Four, or four, just for 401. 401. Because I was going Wait, to be a little 401. <laughs> I was going to be a little bit too low then. For your I was they are less. in the ballpark. Okay. I was thinking 100 $150. So you're pretty substantially higher than that. Is this, is our, is this the export value of just the awful products? or So this will be beef okay. and awful combined. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I'm learning. I, I can believe that because there's, there is, you know, we think about kind of the, the Asian markets that really like some of our high quality, you know, high high choice premium type beef. But then we also have markets for the tongues and 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 if you think about what the carcass, the whole carcass would be worth if we didn't get that value for some of those off all products, it, that would that would probably be several hundred dollars difference. Anybody I'll, else? I'll say six, six hundred, six hundred. So going back to Bob was saying 100. Well, back in 2007, it was 95. Okay. It was 17% over last year, but this year through the first nine months, it's about $460. That's impressive. Hmm. So 401. <laughs> 375 was your first guess. <laughs> you, get, yeah. you get to go play Plinko. There you go. Excellent. So I got two more questions for you. Uh, so we think about exports markets, various markets. And so we just talked about we're going to, we're not necessarily opening up a new market. 
with this recent trade agreement, but we're open. It's allowed us to continue to export more. So what are our top, let's say, five export markets by a value? So we're talking value, not production. Top top countries? Top countries. So what are the Did top just, five countries? I think we talked about this. Oh, North America. America. China. Canada, I think, countries. would be number one. Canada or Mexico. China. EU. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I'm, I'm kind of with AJ. I think Canada and Mexico are pretty high, but I think that actually it's some of the Asian countries. So I'm going to... And I can't remember the order of like China, Japan, South Korea, but I'm thinking that those three would be pretty high, and then North America would be right behind them. But uh, I don't know. Did you say North America? Uh, yeah. North America yeah. being oh. Canada yeah. and okay. Mexico, because I know yeah. we don't export to the United States. I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about we just take your top country? Let's just start with that. We'll say Canada. I would say I think South Korea. I'm going to go China. Yeah, I'll say China. China. So Korea, South Korea mm-hmm. would be our top. So we exported just in the first nine months uh, on a, well, this is all listed on a per head basis. I could dig through the, the data to find the actual, but it's uh, about $106 per head is what we export. China, Hong Kong comes in second at about $102 a head. Third is Japan at $92. Mexico is 36 Canada is 32 And then Taiwan is about $30. So those are our top export markets uh, through the first nine months. Again, I think the reason we talk about exports is it's, you know, it, it does increase value to the carcass, which ultimately gets back to the producers. And so I think that's something to keep in, keep in mind while we talk about exports and the value of them. Uh, last question I'll ask is in the first nine months of this year, what percent of U.S. beef produced was exported? So now you're talking about like pounds of beef, not dollars of beef. Well, I'm talking about what percent? Oh, beef. The percent. Okay. What percent of beef? Eleven. Seven. Seventeen. I think about twenty. I'll say fifteen. I'll say thirteen. That'll give you some uh, diversity. So it was fifteen point four in the first nine months, which is up point four percent over the previous year. Now I've heard, you know, you, you know, you've seen people talk about probably next year it might go down a little bit because prices are higher. Uh, and things like that. But we've had a really good export market uh, this past, well, actually past few years, if you go back across time in the beef uh, sector. So so that's just a quick update on some, some values and stuff from the export market. But Excellent. Thanks, Dustin. That was great information and <coughs> interesting to see how that trickles back. You know, that, that $400 of extra value from exporting or $460 that you said, that, that, of course, feeds into the feed yard, which feeds back to the cow-calf guy. So the export market's important to all of us. And the way you described it, it's not just individual calves that are exported. It's parts of a lot of different calves. So that export market affects all of us, whether, whether we see it or not directly. I do want to address a little bit... This time of year, we have different parts of the country go through cold spells. You get that cold snap, and I'm really not not thinking about specifically the snow or the sleet, or we know some of the other elements we got to deal with, but I wanted to ask you guys, what do I do when the weather's predicting it's going to be negative 20? What do I do to try to manage my herd through that weather? And I'm thinking here specifically cows. So what what do I need to do to manage the cows? The first thing I'm going to be concerned about is water source, even though cattle drink less water in the winter time than they do in the summertime i've got a lot of times more problems getting them that water and so if you know a a cold snap is coming i would double down on making sure that your your ability to deliver water is taken care of i'll say i'll say shelter is a big deal a keeping them if you can keep them dry the 
change. I, I just read an article this morning about the change in energy needs between a cow that's dry hide versus wet hide. And it, it's huge. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's, it's a significant difference. And if the shelter doesn't just keep them dry, but keeps them out of the wind, that's even more additive. So, and I know that's not always feasible when you're out on pasture, but um, with, if possible, when you get into these really, really extreme cold spells, giving them some shelter is a good idea. Yeah. I mean, the wind breaks, and I, I agree with you 100%, just some type of shelter. But right now, we've got a lot of cattle out on corn stalks and some different areas that, you know, we don't traditionally have, you know, post and mortar. We don't have anything sunk in concrete to have anything. Uh, you know, what do we do? I've seen a lot of ranchers do some really unique things in some of those circumstances. Uh, there, there's a producer in western Kansas. He backs up two cattle trailers uh, that blocks the north and the west, and then he opens the little side door for the calves to go into a nice little bedded area. Uh, but there, I mean, some, it's portable. We have a wind bro- uh, break, and something. anything that we do is going to be positive. Whether, if you can break that wind, it makes a huge difference. Wind is what is 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 the most, in my opinion, the most important factor yep. on trying to break during cold. Wind and dry, right? And dry, we can only control so much. Dustin or, or Philip? Well, I was going to say, right along with what uh, Brian and AJ were talking about, is the maintenance requirements. So their maintenance requirements going to go up because of the, the cold, the wet, the wind. Um, and so we need to think about possibly supplementing them with a higher energy feed stuff, um, especially if it's going to be an extended cold spell. And so maybe increase your, if you already are supplementing, increase the amount. If you're not, probably start feeding a little bit of supplement, uh, energy supplement. Doesn't have to be protein, but it needs to be energy because their maintenance requirements are going to go up 50 to 100%. Do I have to worry about any transition there? So when you say go up a little bit, do I have to worry? Because we've talked before about we, we're we not feeding carbohydrates. Now we start to feed carbohydrates. They have to make an adjustment. Do I worry about that with cows? Or are you talking about small enough quantities? It doesn't matter. No, you probably need to worry about it a little bit if you're not feeding anything. If you have been feeding some supplement, then then adding another couple, three pounds during that cold spell is not going to make a big difference. But if you haven't been feeding anything and you're going to start feeding, you know, five, six pounds of supplement during that cold spell, then that's a pretty significant jump. Kind of use the rule of thumb of trying to keep that that uh, starch content in those cows diet less than half a percent of body weight so that doesn't negatively influence forage digestion in those cows. Yeah. And and during that, a lot of times, the cold snaps we're talking about, relatively short-lived, right? I, mm-hmm. I'm going to feed them a little bit, get them up, get them going. I love everything you guys said. So get get them, make sure they have water. Make sure I'm ready. Make sure I've got some sort of shelter. Keep them dry. Block the wind any means possible and give them a little extra feed. I mean, it, depending on when the cold snap hits during the winter, they're going to have their winter coat. They're hopefully going to be as prepared as, the, as they can. But the only other thing I would add is keep, keep them in a reasonable body condition because that layer of fat does help, right? Mm-hmm. If, we, if we let them get thin and I can't do If I know a cold snap's coming Friday – I can't do anything about fat today, but I can keep them in good shape through the winter. Yep, and I, I've got one more to add, bedding. Yep. I, I know it's hard for producers, especially coming out of a dry, uh, drought year, uh, you know, giving up on some straw that potentially could have been fed. But uh, ground corn, uh, you know, 
corn stalks, uh, straw, something along those lines, giving a protective barrier against the frozen ground. Uh, those cattle bed down into it, especially on the, those really extreme days. It's amazing what bedding can do for the, the animal comfort and those sorts of makes it Makes a huge difference. We talked about rolling, not unrolling hay bales. This would be a time. You're not doing it all winter, right? But for a cold snap, it's perfectly fine to unroll one. So we appreciate your input. Thanks for joining us, AJ, and the rest of you as well. We always enjoy having you with us. And if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. Mm -hmm.